possibility. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 is my message for today. Numbers 21, we've been going, we're going through the book of Numbers. I've been looking at um, just the events that are happening. There's a lot of um, uh, ceremonial things that are listed in, in Numbers, and so we're trying not to get bogged down in some of that. A lot of that's not applicable to us today. It's interesting. We can learn lessons from it. But I'm trying to stick to the events as they transpire in the book of Numbers. And as we come to Numbers chapter 21, we have this that I read already, starting in verse number 5, of fiery serpents. It's the only time we really see that in Scripture. Um, uh, some interest there. I don't know about you. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. I don't like snakes. Not one bit. And so we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into the preaching of the Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we uh, have uh, uh, believed, hopefully, individually and as a congregation, prepared our hearts. We prepare our hearts for the preaching of the word, Lord. That's the primary focus of why we come here. Lord, we've had, I've been blessed with special music this morning as the ladies sang a song, and we thank you so much for that. We had an opportunity to sing together as a congregation. Lord, there's offering plates in the back that we can give of tithes and offerings. And all those are opportunities to worship. But Lord, our primary focus is for the Holy Spirit to take the word of God to speak to our hearts and to change us into the image of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you allow me this morning to be your minister used to preach the word. Lord, may we be hearers of the word and then put it to practice and become doers of the word. Lord, we thank you. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. I've had a, um, a somewhat unusual year, uh, personally, dealing with wildlife. Um, some of you are starting to snicker because you know my, son, my youngest son is a, a wildlife officer. He's licensed now by Pennsylvania as a wildlife officer. And um, he works for a um, uh, rehabilitation center for wildlife out in Schuylkill Haven. And um, through, through the year, one of the things that he did, if you were here in our evening services, you may have heard me talk about the skunks, but he did um, rescue 32 skunks this year, most of which spent time at my house. But that's a different story. That's a different story. Um, there's none there now. They've all been rehabilitated and moved on, and, and they're gone. Uh, but, but I have battled, uh, let me see, we had a significant hornet's nest this year, which I took care of pretty easily. We had a major problem with yellow jackets building into the wall of our old farmhouse. That was an epic battle. That was tough. And uh, we, we have had, I've, I have raised the flag of success on annihilating these yellow jackets that were, that were in my house, invading the house. Um, uh, I got stung once. Uh, my little dog, puppy Ruby, got stung once. Uh, other than that, we survived pretty well and have taken care of the yellow jackets. Um, we've had squirrels. Squirrels like to get into my attic. Again, old farmhouse, wooden soffit. Uh, if you remember, I talked about that a year ago. I battled them on the right side of the house. I'm getting ready to gear up a battle on the left side of the house because I've heard some scampering and scratching up in there. So squirrels, I'm battling it a little bit. But with Philip having his wildlife stuff and all, animals have literally begun turning themselves in. It sounds ludicrous, but a squirrel came to Philip's window. A little baby squirrel came to Philip's window. He's up on the, 
the second floor, and there's a big uh, wraparound porch on the old farmhouse, and he's sitting on the porch roof, and he's staring in the window. And Philip goes over, and this little squirrel, I guess, had fallen out of his nest, or maybe fallen out of my soffit. And, and he's standing there on the porch, and he's obviously in distress. And so Philip opens the window, and he opens the screen, and he picks up the squirrel, and it's severely dehydrated. And Philip puts it in one of his cages. It's all set up. And he nurses this thing back to health and sends it free. So they're turning themselves in. De- Desi and I were packing to go camping. To, so we went camping at Acetig last weekend. We're packing to go camping. And I'm not, I, I can't, you, think, you, you would think I'm lying about this, but you'd have to see my security cameras. Where I've opened the back doors on the Suburban, and Desi and I are there, and right behind us we hear, and I turn around, and a squirrel missed he was jumping from the porch to the tree, and he missed, and he fell. And he's laying upside down right in the driveway beside me. I'm just looking at him. And, of course, at that moment, the mailman pulls up. And so the mailman's there, and he's just looking at me, and I'm like, don't ask. And he just <laughs> sticks the mail in the box and drives away like, you people are nuts. You know? We are. You know? So I, I, wildlife. And then, then, just on a side note, as I've moved the tap building this year, uh, part of our storage, there's a, an old um, semi-truck trailer, old semi-trailer sitting on the property, and so we're using that as extra storage for tap. But it had been abandoned for a while, and a previous tenant had filled it with some garbage, old cardboard and old construction supplies. It had been left alone for a while, and some not fiery, but snakes had moved in there. And so uh, in the spring, before it got too warm, I went in and cleaned all the junk out of this trailer. And there was a lot of snake skins. And so I got rid of them all and got it all and tightened up everything I could find. But through the year, and if you ever come to tap, just don't go in the trailer. Uh, Every now and then, I find a snake. And I hate, and I mean, I hate snakes. I don't care. People are like, oh, it's a black snake. It's a Oh, I don't care. It's a... It is a cursed animal, according to the book of Genesis, slithering around on its belly. They're sneaky and nasty, and I don't like them, you know? And so I have got some. I've gotten rid of some. CJ is my witness. I have even gone up and taken his employee, a young guy named Dylan, who's evidently not scared of snakes, and said, Dylan, come help me. And he's, he's got some snakes out. We've, I think we've dealt with three or four different snakes this year there in the trailer. I don't like snakes. I don't like them at all. And so as I come to Numbers chapter 21, boy, all the different things that we've seen that have happened, the people have complained, they've rebelled, they've gone against Moses' authority, they've complained to God, they've complained about food, they've complained about water. Boy, this, (laughs) to me, this is the epitome. This is the top of all the punishments. Serpents showed up, and fiery serpents. And I don't know what that means, but they are deadly we know that, right? People were dying because of this. If you look at some of the, uh, the pictures, if you Google this particular story, or look at some of the pictures that are out there, some of the artist renderings, it usually shows a person like in a snake pit because there's just snakes everywhere. I don't think that's what this was. I, I was thinking about this yesterday. Desi and I were at the, at the uh, Lingolstown Farmer's Market for a little bit in the morning, and people were killing lantern flies, right? Because they're all over the place. And everybody kept saying, oh, I hate these things. They're a nuisance. They're not fiery. 
And nobody's dying because of them, but they are a nuisance, aren't they? They're all over the trees and all over stuff. They're flying, they get in your hair, and they're, they're just a nuisance, and people are sick of them. I think when God brings things like these snakes, it was like unto that, where every time they picked up a bag, oh, there's a snake in it. Every time they got into their house or went to bed, there's a snake in it. They, they step over a threshold or whatever they would have had to get out of their tent, and oh, a snake got them, and they're... It's into stuff. It's into their things. And so these snakes have begun to appear because of their complaining, because of their whining, because of their, 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 their again, upset once again. God has brought these serpents, and they're not just a black snake. They are a serp, uh, serpent with venom, and people are dying that are bit with these snakes, and people are scared for their kids, and they're not letting their kids go out and play, and they're scared before they pick up stuff, and they're scared to go places because these snakes have become a major problem, and people are dying. And the people realized, after, look, we're pretty far into the book of Numbers now, they realized, you know why we're having a snake problem? Because we sinned. It had gotten through at least, right? It didn't prevent them from complaining, but once they complained and once God sent a consequence to that, then they realized it was because of their sin and they come back to Moses. What was it they complained about? We have it there in verse number five. There's no bread. Well, wait, there was bread. There was manna. They're going to talk about that, but there's no bread. There's no water. They've, that's been an issue a couple times. We've seen that. And our soul loatheth this light bread. That's not the easiest sentence to read there, is it? it? Loatheth this light bread. They were sick of the manna. They were tired of it. There's a whole lesson, sermons that can be built just around the manna and their, their, response, their response to the manna. But as we come to verse number five, they're complaining once again about the food. They're complaining about the lack of food. It's not what they want. It's not what they have. They're tired of what they has been provided. And they're complaining. Thus God brings the fiery serpents. Thus they come to ver uh, Moses in verse number seven. We have sinned. We spoke against the Lord. They realized what they did. They realized God's response to what had happened. So God gives an answer to Moses. As Moses prays at the end of verse number seven, God gives an answer in verse number eight. And I want to focus, obviously, on that today. Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole. It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. This is a theme that develops in this verse, and this theme will carry out throughout the rest of the Word of God. This theme carries out to this day. We sing songs today like, Look and live, based on this verse, based on this very uh, principle that God develops here. This is a picture of the fact that one day Jesus Christ will be hanging on the cross. And if we look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, he who died for us and died in our place, we can spiritually live. These people were to look at this serpent on a pole. I've always kind of struggled with this. Isn't it odd 
that God's instruction was to use a serpent. I, I know the, the thing that came was serpents, but God then told Moses to make a serpent and put that on the pole. Well, I want to focus on that in just a few minutes. But that's an interesting picture that God used there, and I don't think that's by accident. And I'll tell you the truth, as I studied a number of concordances, they didn't really focus on that. They focused on the picture that, boy, this serpent is a picture of Christ. But why? Why did God decide to use a, a serpent here? Very, very interesting. I want us to spend some time thinking about that. But this is a clear symbol and a picture of salvation by looking to Jesus Christ. We'll see that. If you will turn, we're going to look at a couple verses that, that reference this. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. You and I are very familiar with John 3.16. And if we know John chapter 3, it's the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, trying to figure out who this Jesus is. It's where Jesus tells Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Nicodemus struggles with understanding that concept. Jesus makes it very clear to him. And obviously verse 16, the most popular of all verses in the Bible, but verse 14, verse 14, Jesus makes reference of this very event. Jesus says to Nicodemus, a story that Nicodemus knows very well, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Uh, Nicodemus knows the law. He's a teacher of the law. He's well-versed in the law. He's, he, 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 he's one that people go to to find out and understand and be taught about the law. This is, this is something he knows very well. And so Jesus takes this picture from Numbers chapter 21, this event that transpires here in Numbers chapter 21. Jesus goes back to that and says, look, Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. Those who were bitten by these poisonous snakes, as they looked at that serpent on the pole, they were healed. In the same way, the Son of Man, Jesus, who is speaking the words. Nicodemus is still struggling to understand this, but Jesus himself must be lifted up, that all men that look to him can find salvation. That's the picture. We looked at the importance of the picture of the rock, the rock that brings forth water, and the problem when Moses kind of messed that up in the earlier chapter there. But in chapter 21, the picture is not messed up at all. In fact, Jesus references it himself. One other important thing, I don't want to overlook it, back in 2 Kings, 2 Kings. So we're moving now generations after Let's just uh, paint a timeline real quick. Moses is in the midst of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Then Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, and the Israelites will go into the promised land and settle the promised land. Then they have a period where they're ruled by the judges, right? And if we read the book of Judges, they follow God for a while, then they fall away from God for a while, and there's this up and down, up and down, tumultuous time, when God will raise a judge and help him out. We have judges like Gideon and Samson and some of those that we know better, ultimately ending with Samuel, Samuel being the last judge. It was during the time of Samuel that the people said, we want a king. 
all the other countries have a king. We want a king. And so God grants them that. He tells them, God tells them through Samuel, you don't want a king, but we'll give you a king. So God gives them that, the, the, the desires of their heart. And so God, Saul, who reigns for 40 years, David, who reigns for 40 years, Solomon, who reigns for about 40 years, is a long period of time here. And then, and then the kingdom splits. We have the north and the south. I'm saying this is an extended period of time from the fiery serpent, from Moses in the wilderness. We've gone through, we've gone through hundreds of years. 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings 18, did I tell you that? I hear pages turn, I must not have. 2 Kings 18, and verse, uh, let's start with verse 1. 2 Kings 18, verse 1, now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, a son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So we have Hezekiah, Hezekiah, godly king. 25 years old was he when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, or Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. What did he do? We see this a lot. When a godly king comes to power, they get rid of the idolatry from the past. So verse 4, he removed the high places. That's where they worship the idols. He break the images. He cut down the groves. Those are the three things we always hear when they remove idol worship. What's the fourth thing he did? He broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and they called it Nehushtan, or whatever that is. They gave it a name, right? They gave it an idolatrous name, and they began to burn incense to the brazen serpent that Moses had made, that they had kept around for hundreds of years. They began to worship it. And Hezekiah said, no, 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 no. Hezekiah knew godly wisdom. No, 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 we're not to worship the brazen serpent. Listen, I think it's important to keep perspective here. Hezekiah did not know all the details about Jesus Christ. He didn't know the name Jesus Christ yet. He didn't know what was going to happen and how God was going to provide the perfect lamb and how the Messiah would come and how he would be die. Some of those things begin to unfold throughout prophecy, but Hezekiah didn't have all that information. But Hezekiah knew that that picture, that fiery serpent that was made out of brass, that was upon a pole, was not to be worshipped. That was a picture of what God was going to do someday. And then Jesus comes to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when Jesus is on earth, and he's like, remember how Moses raised the serpent? Well, yeah, that's a story. I, I, I would imagine that the story of the fiery serpents was one told often, right? Kids would have gravitated to that. People, that's interesting. What in the world? He said, remember how that, oh, yeah, of course, Nicodemus knew the story. He was a teacher of the law. He said, that's me, the son of man, the son of God must be lifted up. He must die upon the cross. Nicodemus doesn't understand all that yet, but he's going to within the next little bit of time. This is going to unfold over the next couple of years for Nicodemus. He's going to see this come to pass. Think about that. We, we lose sight of Nicodemus in the story, right? He comes to Jesus. Jesus explains. He seems confused. 
We don't hear much about Nicodemus after that. His name mentions once or twice, but that's about it. But Nicodemus would be, wait, wait, wait. The one that I met, the one that I talked to, the one that said, John 3, verse 14, I'm, uh, the Son of Man must be lifted up, they're putting him on a cross. Right? It was all coming to pass. From the law he had taught to the person that he had talked to, who was God, who was Jesus Christ, to the fulfillment of that, as Christ is hung upon the cross, Nicodemus was, was able to see that come to fruition. And you and I have all that in hindsight. We have all that written in the Word of God. And so here we have that picture, that very clear picture of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about this, this thing, this pole, this brazen brass serpent that Moses made. Why, why that? You know, as much as I began my message today talking about how I don't like snakes, you know, God made the serpent perfect in the Garden of Eden. And it wasn't until Adam and Eve sinned that God cursed the serpent to crawl on its belly. So we don't know what form that serpent had before, before the curse. It was different. I think that's interesting because most of the other animals probably aren't a lot different than they were before the curse, right? A lion was a lion and a cow was a cow, whatever. But the serpent was the one specifically used by Satan, thus God cursed the serpent, and God cursed it to crawl on its belly. So it had taken on a different form. It was a form that Satan decided to use to entice Eve. And so it was something beautiful, it was something nice. You and I, and I saw a lot of heads nod when I was talking, you and I don't like snakes, right? Snakes are that one animal that many people find repulsive, you know, and I, I'm going to step on your toes. If you keep one as a pet in a tank in your house, you're a nut, you know, but whatever. I just, I called you that. I did. I'll, I'll own it. That's crazy, you know. You are crazy. I, those things, I don't trust them at all. I couldn't sleep with that thing in my house, you know. It'd get out of that tank for sure and come get me, you know. I don't want that. So you and I look at snakes as being, you know, usually most people look at snakes as being a problem, as being a little creepy, you know. But they weren't, so God made the serpent perfect. I think that's important because we see God. I remember, I preached a message maybe a year ago. God doesn't throw things away. God redeems things. God fixes things. God doesn't just discard things. And, and, I, and here's, my, here's my point. Here, I mean, we're going to look at this in more detail. Just because Satan used the serpent doesn't mean that God now views the serpent as bad, as unuseful, as off the table of being a, 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 an animal to use. God doesn't view it that way. God made it. God cursed it. God will redeem it. That serpent one day, not Satan, but that serpent one day will be redeemed. I think Christ ultimately shows his power over all creation by using that serpent. Now, I, I've, I've looked at this before. 
in, in Genesis, God brings a worldwide flood. And when God brings a worldwide flood and uh, wipes out everything that's not on the ark, right? God then makes a promise to mankind. And to Noah in particular, God says, I will set my bow, we call it a rainbow, I'll set my bow in the sky. And that bow that I've set in the sky will be a reminder of my promise that I will never flood the whole earth again. That was a one-time event. We know, and this is not the direct point of my message, but we know that the symbol of the rainbow has been taken in our era, in our time, in my lifetime. The symbol of the rainbow has been used by people who do not agree with the moral law that God has established. So they've used that rainbow. To the point that you and I, listen, think about this. As a church, I can't put a rainbow flag out front. I mean, it would, it would send the wrong message. People who are visiting today wouldn't visit. If we had a rainbow flag out front, we'd have different visitors today, right? We would. It would change all that because that's, you know, it sends that message. Now, listen to me. God made the rainbow. God set the rainbow in the sky as a promise. Man has changed the meaning of it. So because of that, clearly God would never use a rainbow again, right? No. Wrong. Just because mankind uses the rainbow as a symbol of immorality, does that mean God's going to throw away the rainbow? Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation 1, 2, and 3. The seven letters to the seven churches. And Revelation chapter 4 and 5, the Apostle John is given a vision. He says he goes in the Spirit and he has a vision of heaven and of what happens in heaven and then has a vision of prophetic events, events to come. And they are still to come for you and me. Chapter 4, I looked, I'm in verse 1. I looked, behold, a door was open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking to me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which much must be hereafter. Immediately I was in the Spirit, so there he is, right? It was not physical. In the spirit, he was given a vision. Behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one, capital O, so we're talking about God, talking about Christ, sat on the throne. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Listen, according to this, one of the first things John sees in heaven, surrounding the throne, is a rainbow. Obviously, uh, obviously, not used in any way like those who use it today use it. This is God's symbol that God used. Does God throw away the rainbow because man has redefined it? No, far from it, obviously not. I think the parallel there is with the serpent, too. Satan used the serpent. God cursed the serpent. It's going to slither around on the ground now. It's going to be something that people maybe are fearful of or 
you know, find to be a sneaky animal because of the way it slithers, the way it attacked the people, the way it got the people here in Numbers chapter 21. And yet God, as only God can do, he's the creator. It's his creation. God took that serpent and put it on a pole and held it up as a picture of Christ to come. I, I would think, I, I try to do this sometimes, think about this, what do you think Satan's reaction was to that? It's as if God just took the one thing that Satan kind of took, and God took it right back from him, you know? Satan's like, well, I took the serpent. That serpent used to be a great animal, and I brought it way down, and look what it is now. And God's like, okay, I'll use it as a picture of my own son, Jesus Christ. Satan's like, oh, you know, lost that one too. Yes, because God can do that. He can take that which is most despised and redeem it and save it. And that, of all things, should be a picture for you and I that there's nothing too far from God. There's nothing too far out of his reach. We can't be too bad. We can't be too... He took the serpent and redeemed it and used it as a picture of Jesus Christ to the point that Jesus Christ talked about it to Nicodemus. You know how that serpent was on the pole, lifted up? So will I be, Jesus says. The Son of Man must be lifted up as well. Look and live. My brother, live. If you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, God used the snake. The people didn't always understand it. They started to worship it, 2 Kings chapter 18. They misused it, and so the, the good godly king got rid of it. Because there was nothing special about the pole and the brass. It was a picture of what we were to look towards. And so you and I today in 2022, listen, the message hasn't changed. We're to look to Jesus Christ. And I do think there's something really special about the fact that he used in that picture, that one picture, God used a serpent as a picture and a symbol Boy, you, if God can use that, God can save me. If God can use that, listen, I'm, I think we can agree. We have more value before God than a snake. We are God-breathed living souls. God died for mankind. And not for the snake. He died for us. He cares about us. And wants us to look to him for salvation. Listen, looking at a bronze snake on a pole didn't make any sense, right? It didn't make any sense, as so many of these things didn't. This was God's point to the Israelite people. This is building faith. Moses, Moses, we're getting bit by these snakes. Our kids, our, our spouse, our, our family, they're being hurt by these snakes. What should we do? Moses prays to God. God says, already put a brass snake on a pole and lift it up. Tell people if they look at that, they'll live. That doesn't make sense. Isn't there some anti-venom? Right? Isn't there something we can take? Isn't there something we can eat? Isn't there something we should do? How about you just make all the snakes go away? No, if you get bit by one... Look at the pole. That doesn't on its surface make sense. 
I'm a, I'm a sinner. I think people have a hard time with that today. I, sometimes. Sometimes people have a hard time with that. I, I think we look at the, the news and the media and these, what, maybe true crime stories. Well, one of the most popular shows in America today is about that Jeffrey Dahmer guy, right? You look at that and the, the, the sickness and evil of, of, of what mankind can do. And so I think it is natural for man, for humans, to look at that and say, well, I'm, I'm not that bad, right? I mean, look at me. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good employee, I'm a good spouse, I'm a good son, I'm a good daughter, I, I pay my taxes, I do my duty, I'm, I care about people, I'm not that, I'm, I'm okay. And so we struggle with the fact, first of all, that God says, no, 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 your righteousness does not compare to the righteousness of God. And how much sin does it take for you to be a sinner? Right? One. <laughs> Little. We compare ourselves to people. We compare ourselves to the evil, the vile, the wicked in the world. God says, no, 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 no. The ruler, the standard here, the ruler we're using is Jesus Christ. And now we have a problem. And God says, listen, I will, I will fix your problem. And God Almighty becomes man, walks among us, lives a sinless life, dies on the cross shedding his precious blood on our behalf. And the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, all you have to do is be born again. All you have to do is accept my plan, my free gift. I've paid the price for you. You messed up, but I took care of it, God said. I've paid it for you. You accept my plan of salvation. And I think there's a tendency, much like Numbers 21, for people to go, that eh, seems too easy, right? I'm not sure that makes sense. What do I have to do? Right? That's our answer, right? What do I have to do? Do I have to be a good person? Do I have to be more faithful in church? Do I have to give money? Do I have to pray this? Do I, what do I have to do? And God says, no, no, I've done it. It's done. It's paid for. You have to accept my free gift. And all too often, I've used this picture, especially around Christmas time, I think we've left the gift all wrapped up, sitting under the tree, if it were, you know? And God's like, it's a free gift. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I deserve it. That seems too simple. Did that happen? We don't have much of the account that unfolds in Numbers 21 after Moses made the serpent. But I wonder how many, when Moses made it and set out there... And the word went out, all you have to do, you've been bit by a snake, just look at the pole. And I'm sure there were some skeptics who went, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know. we'll, we'll, we, got some, we have some natural home remedy here we're going to try. No, 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 just look at the pole. It's easy. God took it. No, what's that going to do? And in much the same way, we are to look to the lamb today. We're to look at Jesus Christ today. And people go, that ah, seems too easy. I don't know. It's got to be more to it. I have to do, there has to be a catch, right? Always looking for the catch, the fine print. Isn't it great that John 3.16 doesn't have any finer print than the print that's in our Bibles? You know, there's no extra. There's nothing we missed. There's no amendum to it. There's no page 8 attached to John 3.16. It's a free gift. We accept it. And salvation is available. 
Let's pray. Our dear, precious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we've looked at this unique story, unique story in Numbers 21, Lord, unique that they were dealing with some poisonous snakes. You gave them a plan for that, but that plan had a picture attached, and the picture was Jesus Christ dying on Calvary for us. Lord, I pray that those that are here today, Lord, there are folks in this room that have been part of this church longer than I've been around. There are folks in this uh, room that, that are, are, are deacons and teachers and have been uh, saved longer than I've been alive. Lord, there are folks that may are, maybe are new to our church. There are people that may have just visited for the first time today. So, Lord, I don't know their hearts. You do. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Lord, may today be the day they put their thought aside and accept your free gift of salvation. Not what we have to do, but what is already done. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's never accepted you. Lord, I want to take the moment and the time today to pray with them and for them. If you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ, but you're interested, pray with me a prayer similar to this. There's no set prayer. The Bible says, with the heart man believeth. But if you're here today, let's open that communication with God and tell him that I'm ready to accept the free gift of salvation. If you're here, you've never accepted Christ, but you would like to, I invite you to pray with me quietly in your heart before God today. No one else knows. No one else is listening. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I know you came and died for me and all mankind. Lord, I accept your free gift of salvation. Lord, I want to turn from my sin and follow you today. Lord, you know our hearts, and you know if there's those that maybe, maybe they prayed that with me today. Maybe they shared that with me today. As, as I prayed that, they prayed to you. Lord, I pray that if they've done that, that they'll take a moment sometime this week to let me know as pastor so I can help them, so I can pray for them, so I can give them some things to help them grow in their Christian life. Lord, for those of us that are here today, maybe we've made that decision years ago in our lives. Lord, may we see how, how unique and special it is that you are the master of creation, so much so you redeem the snake in Numbers 21. You use the rainbow in Revelation chapter 4. Nothing that we mess up or that Satan has soiled with his evil doing, nothing that we mess up is too big for you. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that. Thank you for the time we've had today. Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Our last